I dislike talking about Francis, but it's necessary today. I'm going to frame a statement he made in his Sunday homily in Vatican City as sort of the focus of discussion that was raised by Bishop McElroy on the subject of worthy reception of Holy Communion for sinners in the following statement of Francis. Francis' statement is going to focus everything here. At his homily on Sunday in Vatican City, Francis said the following, quote, Keeping the truth does not mean defending ideas, becoming the guardians of a system of doctrines and dogmas. It means remaining bound to Christ and being devoted to his gospel. Truth is Christ himself. End quote. Do you see what Francis did there? He separated the dogmas and doctrines of the faith from the gospel, and in so doing, he okayed making them changeable as long as we love Jesus. Those systems of doctrines, as he called them, come from the gospel. They come from Christ. And therein lies the topic of discussion today, because the church has always taught that manifest public sinners do not receive the Eucharist until they amend their ways. Full stop. And it didn't matter who that was, either. A game show host who was who fit that description would be subject to the same treatment as any king would be throughout history. In this, the church has always been on paper rather fair. So let's dive into this topic because it's an important one, and share this with people if you think they need to see it. So who can receive the Eucharist? This is the question of our time. The church says that to receive the Eucharist in general, you need to be a sacramentally confirmed Catholic who is in a state of grace. There are some exceptions, of course, and a few other minor little rules here, relatively speaking, but they are very few. The Church has been consistent on this throughout history, and the state of grace requirement is key here. To be in a state of grace means you cannot have unconfessed sins that you carry. Again, pretty straightforward. But it should be, at any rate, because this is suddenly the subject of debate in our time, and has been for some years now, going back to at least the 1980s, when a German cardinal worked to change that on the subject of the nuptial sacrament. But it is a subject again in our time because suddenly the prelates want to eliminate some sins from the discussion and replace them with new worldly sins that are nowhere discussed in sacred scripture. Remember those eco-sins from a couple years ago? That's just one example. And this whole subject is itself innovation at its finest. This is set in the focus of the great discussion of our day in the church, not the state of the church, Germany, but in America, where Caesar claims to adhere to the faith and is portrayed as being very devout, but is in reality a manifest public sinner. The Church is always barred from reception of the Holy Eucharist those who are known to sin in a public manner, especially in cases where that sinner is a servant of Moloch. I haven't used that term in a while, but the servant of Moloch moniker is really apt for this discussion, and Caesar and his senior ministers are in fact public sinners. A priest, Father Petrisk, my apologies to the priest, I know I mispronounced his name, took to the National Catholic Register to correct Bishop McElroy on this topic, who says that it isn't the job of the Church to do that. Now, I'll have a reminder for the bishop in a moment, but here's the key for that article. Quote, it is important to note, however, that the U.S. Bishops' Conference has only been considering the drafting of a quote-unquote teaching document or on quote-unquote worthy reception, not a binding national rule. Their more limited scope is likely because there is no need for a, for a national rule. The policy already exists in the universal law of the Catholic Church. As I previously have written, the prohibition on giving communion to those who obstinately persist in manifest grave sin has been a part of church discipline for centuries. All ministers of the Eucharist have a moral obligation to follow this discipline, and no bishop has the power to prevent it. Applying this ancient discipline to the servants of Moloch is not new. 
what is relatively new, at least since the middle of the last century, is the increasing tendency of public figures who claim to share our faith, and yet by their words and decisions in their work for Caesar, both formally and materially cooperate in the grave sin in question. And mostly, quote, as usual, some synonyms had to be swapped around for the typical reasons. I think my favorite thing in this discussion is that McElroy, a proud devotee of the Nouveau Theologie, the New Theology, says that the constant teaching of the Church is itself a New Theology, <laughs> an innovation that comes from the meanie trads who are just so mean and want to make the Eucharist a badge of honor. The Eucharist is no such thing, of course, but it is a sign that the recipient is in communion with the Church inasmuch as the recipient affirms the faith with the rest of us and has no sins that they carry that need to be confessed. Of course, for the modernists, like any other agent of innovation, they will say their adversaries do what they themselves do. And in this case, Bishop McElroy has a lot to say. Quote, Bishop McElroy criticizes what he calls a newly emerging theology of unworthiness. He asserts that this approach results from a view that holds that any Catholic who continually rejects a significant teaching of the Church is automatically unworthy to receive the Eucharist. Yet the teaching of the Church, taught as de fide since at least the Council of Trent, is precisely that Catholics who, with full knowledge and consent, reject or persistently doubt of revealed truth of the faith or morals and commit a grave sin. The, the name for that sin is heresy. Not only should they not receive communion, but heretics can incur an automatic penalty of excommunication. End quote. And the question at hand is simply this. The topic of discussion is one that the Church hasn't budged on, and it isn't new either. Since the first century, the Church has taken this position, that the Moloch topic is a sin. We cannot budge on it. When talking about other sins, the communion question has been resolved in generally the same way. See what Henry VIII faced in his mess with Anne Boleyn and Catherine of Aragon, for possibly the most famous example, and what those who persist in error are willing to do to have sin embraced by the Church. Incidentally, this is the core of why I call him Pastor Jimmy Martin of the Jesuit Church, by the way, because his work is truly the stuff of schism and rejecting the constant teaching of the Church on a different but completely related topic. And by the way, Henry VIII is incidentally why the Council of Trent had to address this issue in the first place. And finally, from this article by the priest, we will get that this brings us back to Francis. McElroy says that he is not only following the lead of Francis, and for once, I completely agree with him, with the bishop, not that it justifies what his position is. Quote, Bishop McElroy concludes his case with the question, is the central identity of the invitation of Christ to the Eucharist a sign of personal worthiness or the grace call of God to mercy? This question poses a false dichotomy that is at odds with the perennial teaching of the Church. In making his argument, Bishop McElroy quotes Pope Francis as his authority that the Eucharist is not a prize for the perfect, but a perfect or a powerful intervention and nourishment for the weak. Pope Francis' statement is in perfect accord with the Church's long discipline. Bishop McElroy's interpretation, of course, is not. End quote. Virtually no one in history said that the Eucharist was only for the perfect. The few who did were corrected by the Church who would always teach that one needed to be in a state of grace to receive our Lord in the blessed sacrament of the altar. That's why we have this sacrament of confession, after all. And that's not anything new, by the way, and frankly, what we're seeing here is nothing more than the continuation of the work of the Jesuits in the 1960s who sought to change this teaching of the Church in practice when it came to JFK's brother Ted. Why? Because he was like Caesar at that time. The most strident voices among the modernists in America have sought for the Church to stop talking about the Moloch subject entirely but to embrace it. For this reason alone, they objected to what Paul VI taught in Humanae Vitae, because that document is, despite its flaws, possibly the best encyclical of the post-conciliar era, 
because the Pope knew that it would be extremely unpopular when he issued it, but it contained teaching that needed to be taught. Many of the bishops laughed at that document then, and the Jesuits connected to the most important Catholics at that time in my country worked against that document actively. And in Canada, the bishops actually issued a formal document telling the faithful that they did not need to listen to it. That is how widespread the rejection of the consistent teaching of the church has been for quite a long time now. Which brings us back to Francis. Yes, the priest in that article cited him positively, but let's revisit the statement I quoted from him at the start of this. At his Mass this past Sunday, Francis said the following, quote, Keeping the truth does not mean defending ideas, becoming the guardians of a system of doctrines and dogmas. It means remaining bound to Christ and being devoted to his gospel. Truth is Christ himself, end quote. We are not bound to defend doctrines and dogmas, but have a personal thingy with Christ. And I say thingy because I never understood what the acolytes of Luther and Calvin mean when they talk about a personal relationship with Christ that doesn't involve accepting the real presence of our Lord in the Eucharist, since consuming the Eucharist faithfully and being devoted to the Eucharist is as personal of a relationship as it gets with Christ. But it gets better, because here we see Francis rejecting the dogmas and doctrines of the faith, at least rejecting their divine origin. The church did not make of those dogmas and doctrines themselves. They came from scripture and the teaching of the church fathers. Francis has famously told us to go out and make a mess of things for Christ, and to a degree, he's not wrong about that. It's just sort of a hip and modern way of saying, be salt and light in the world. And a statement that we aren't to defend dogmas and doctrines is another make a mess statement from him. That's not surprising, nor should it be, but let's be honest for a moment. What is the job of the papacy? What is its real job? I'm going to cite something here that I normally wouldn't a post-conciliar encyclical, and one that cites the Second Vatican Council positively. I know for some of you, you're going to be like, what What are you doing? Just bear with me here. I'm doing this because it makes a true statement that no Catholic in history would have thought anything was but obvious. This comes from Fide Depositum, the encyclical letter of John Paul II that reflects on Vatican II. In the opening paragraph, the opening part of the opening paragraph, he says this, quote, Guarding the deposit of faith, is the mission which the Lord has entrusted to his church and which she fulfills in every age. The Second Vatican Ecumenical Council, which was opened 30 years ago by my predecessor, Pope John XXIII of happy memory, had its intention and purpose to highlight the church's apostolic and pastoral mission, and by making the truth of the gospel shine forth, to lead all people to seek and receive Christ's love, which surpasses all knowledge. End quote. The dogmas and doctrines of the faith come from the gospel. They either are from things our Lord said directly or are the logical extension of that. It is the job of the Pope, regardless of who he is, to defend and promote the deposit of the faith. Full stop. This is why I take such umbrage with the things Francis says and does. When the gospel is concerned, we are always talking about the salvation of souls. That is what we are talking about here. In the case of the Moloch question, Bishop McElroy and Caesar and his ministers, who say they share the faith with us but oppose what the Church teaches on this subject, we're talking about the salvation of souls. Theirs. That's what we're talking about, as well as sins that are especially wicked in nature, historically wicked to such a degree that the church, going back to antiquity, took the same stance on it. But in an age where the bishops of the archdiocese of the internet talks about daring to hope that Gehenna is empty, Bishop McElroy's sentiment is not then a surprising one. The bishop of the internet isn't alone in believing that statement either. That's why you don't hear the four last things preached at a typical diocesan mass on Sunday except for rare occasions. It's why sins are reduced to social questions, and why the institutions of the church have become so focused on material concerns. 
Sin has been reduced to an interpersonal concept, and the gospel has become a works-based gospel. Frankly, this has been the case for a few decades now. It's just more obvious now than ever before. That's why, at the core of things, the church has partnered itself with the Leviathan and with Caesar so often, and especially in the last decade. As usual, I could go on and on, but I won't. Instead, I want to hear from you. What do you think about this? Let me know in the comments below. Should we just ignore what our Lord said, that when someone eats and drinks of the sacrificial offering they unworthily, they eat their own ticket to Gehenna, or should we continue to take the Eucharist with the absolute seriousness that our forebearers did? <laughs> Let me know your thoughts on this in the comments, please. And like, subscribe if you haven't, and hit that bell so you don't miss anything. As always, pray for the Church. I'm Anthony Stein. Ave Maria.